Welcome to another episode of the Mindset Athlete Podcast with me, James Roberts, transformational coach, two-time Paralympian, and TEDx speaker. I have another awesome episode for you today, so let's get straight into it. And on today's show, I've got Ariane Cristioni. Ariane started her career in the United States playing for university teams at UCLA Bruins, where she was a part of the number one recruiting class in the nation and then went on to Boston College, where she was Female Student Athlete of the Year. In 2008, she moved to Europe to pursue a dream of becoming a professional player. At the time, there was no professional league in the United States, and Europe was her only option. Her first stop was Sweden, where she played for... Can you pronounce the team? Because I'm going to make... I'm going to get that wrong. Uh, for EF Denmark. And then off to the land of pizza and pasta, Italy, where she played from 2009 to 2014 at Torres Calcio Feminile on the Isle of Sardinia, where she won three domestic titles, a Coppa Italia and three Italian Super Cups, while also playing numerous games in the UEFA Women's Champions League and getting her first caps with the Italian national team. During the summer of 2014, she decided she wanted a new challenge and make a quick pit stop in the Netherlands, where she joined reigning Dutch champions FC20 before in January 2015, making her first foray into French football with Saint-Étienne, where she played until May 2016. In Saint-Étienne, she had the worst thing happen in the best possible place, a season-ending injury, where doctors thought, would be career-ending, having torn her ACL, MCL, and PCL, and both meniscus all at the same time. But after 18 months of intense rehab and a lot of determination, she returned triumphant to the field and returned to Sweden for the second time with... In Sweden? Yeah. Well, no, I went to Norway first, and then I went to Sweden. So I went to Fart, which is really funny, and then I went to Kunzbaka. (laughs) Okay. Before taking on the challenge at another French club, Saint Malo in 2017. She currently plays for PSG in the French League while also holding a position in the business side, leading the Women's Sporting Initiative. In 2018, she decided to pursue a promise to her mother of returning to school and getting a master's. She completed her master's in football business in Switzerland, which allowed her to become the only player in PSG history to have two contracts with the club one as a player on the women's pro team and a second in the marketing department as women's sponsorship manager. She is also one of the only players, if not the only player in Europe to have two contacts within a major club. So there's pretty much you, you've done everything coming in, in with my eyes, but let's talk about the, the, this is all seriousness of pretty much if you not only have had one ligament, injury but three and obviously i i didn't even mention in the question that i asked you via email obviously having the meniscus injury as well talk to myself and the audience of how debilitating mentally was that to for five injuries to happen all at once you know honestly it was probably easier that it all did happen at one time i think it would have been horrible if i would have done one thing and then been able to come back and then done another thing and and vice versa that would have taken five years rather than just the 18 months that it did take so on one hand it was absolutely horrific um 
it was a rough time. I'd, I'd gotten out of one club and I, I was really happy by the time I got to France. I was really excited to play in France in the top division and play against the best players in the world, the best teams in the world. Undoubtedly at that time, Lyon and Paris Saint-Germain were great clubs and I was really excited to represent Saint-Étienne and, and play against them. And so to get that injury was really rough. My mom ended up moving to France to help me because I literally couldn't kind of live by myself comfortably. And so she was amazing. My whole family behind me was amazing. And, and that definitely helped mentally, though, them pushing me and supporting me and knowing. A lot of people ask me how you come back from that. And to me, it was never a question of coming back from that. It was just when. Like, I was going to come back no matter what. The doctors weren't too sure, but I decided I was. And, and a lot of people around me said I could and I would. So I I did. And I just made every day count. So every exercise I had to do, I did exactly the number of exercises. I had a stopwatch with me. If they told me to do 10 and then wait two seconds, I literally did it exactly to the T of everything they told me. And at night when there was training, I would go to the field on my crutches and I would just do laps, like hobbling around the field to make sure that I was still doing stuff and not kind of getting down on myself and, and frustrated at home. And do you think that mentality uh, as pretty much stood you in good stead especially obviously we're just living with a pandemic of of the women's game kind of being put into one side from a financial position because of whatever reason i i call it unjust because if it's sports to be entertaining what's the difference between the men's and the women's game pretty Mm -hmm. much nothing from an entertainment factor but obviously you talked about a a winning mentality where does that where does that come from for you specifically, Ariana? Um, I think growing up, both of my parents are go getters and worked extremely hard for what they had. And uh, I also have an older sister, and she does too. And I think it it really does stem from our parents of working hard and treating us. My dad always said we weren't boys or girls; we were just humans, and that he was going to treat us that way. And so. We could wear dresses, but we could also climb trees and scrape our knees and play sports and do whatever we wanted on fields, courts, whatever sport it was, but also academically. And they always pushed us to do the best that we personally could. Um, so I definitely thank my parents for that attitude and and I still see it in them today. So I guess that's definitely where it comes from. That's very humbling of you to say. But what drew you to, to obviously for the American, obviously soccer, but football for the Europeans, um, being in the obviously growing up in the United States, you've you've got the allure of basketball and other sports to kind of grab your attention. For you, more specifically, what drew you to 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 the game? So it's actually a funny story, and I tell it all the time, but it's just the truth. Um, my sister actually started playing soccer before I did football. And the reason she started playing is she was she was a little bit chubby, not not major or anything, but my mom just wanted to make sure that she was active. So she actually signed her up for football against my dad's will. My dad at that time hadn't really wanted us to play sports. He he'd originally wanted sons and he got daughters. So he wanted us to do tap and do more, quote unquote, female sports. And um, my mom decided she saw a flyer and thought soccer would be great for my older sister. It would get her active. It would get her running more and just keep her healthy. So she signed my sister up and then she came home and convinced my dad it was a good idea. My sister played her first season. The second season I got signed up too. And the second season, my dad became my sister's head coach and he would go out and he was actually an American football player. So I originally learned how to catch a soccer ball, like an American football. So I'd take it like that and things like that. But um yeah, playing catch with my dad are some of the best memories I have. So it just kind of went from there. My sister's my biggest fan. So it's just a, a family affair now. 
and, and I obviously said in the introduction, you've been capped for Italy. Would would you having a surname of, of Italian descent? Why why did you pick to to represent Italy but not the United States? Or is that just just hap, ha, happened? Um, no, I mean it's simply because I wasn't being called to the national team by the U.S. and I actually had a major mistake in university, which is why I changed universities. I had a major f up. I don't know how else to say it in a, in a major major game. And um, from my standpoint, my coach never forgave me, so I decided to transfer universities. That changed my life, and then that coach ended up becoming the head coach for the U.S. national team. So I figured I'd never have a shot, and because of heritage and having a second passport and Italy for me also being the land of football, like calcio is everything. Um, it was a great honor to to wear the jersey of Italy and and play for my ancestors. That's that's why well, you would hope that that coach didn't hold a grudge, but ultimately sport sport probably does. Uh, I, I think that's what's the misconstrued, to, you know, to the general public of well, you play you play a position that's very unforgiving from a media perspective. They'll always blame a goalkeeper a lot of most of the pundits in this country are, 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 are you know outfield players so them to criticize a goalkeeper is like well i'd like to see you be put in that position and, and i mean and, everybody has their opinion everybody has their viewpoint hers it might be completely different than mine was even at the time um i'm old enough been doing this enough that you know everything happens for a reason and I made my choice. She made her choice, and it's all good. Like it's cool. I'm, I'm, I'm happy where my life is today, and and I know all the twists and turns that it's taken. I wouldn't be here if there weren't all those twists and turns. So I'm really happy suiting up for Paris Saint Germain and finishing my career here in Paris. So it's all good now. Is it a lifelong dream to within within the game as a whole? Obviously, that that those three letters are pretty recognizable within within football. Is especially within the women's game do you think it is it, it, it is a nice way for you to when you say finish out your career but obviously you've got now a career after with it within within to finish the... my football career to, to hang my gloves up i will be hanging my gloves up at in a few months at the end of the season for sure no doubts about it um and absolutely it's a phenomenal place to to be able to end my career here. We're actually number one in the league. So I would love to end on a league title, Champions League title, French Cup title, and just go out right on top. It'd be the best ending to my fairy tale story. And we were talking about off air. You you said it's been a kind of a blessing in disguise, the pandemic, because it's it's gone from having to have, to have more coverage on the TV, which I'm actually I would say surprised. I mean, I'm not sure I would say a blessing in disguise. I think this year we would have gotten the TV rights that we received anyways. Um, I think it's a blessing for me to be playing football right now, being able to get outside with all the different rules and, and um, curfew like rules that we have here in France. Honestly, uh, when I'm freezing outside or when I'm just tired and I don't want to train, I try to remind myself how lucky excuse me, we actually are to be able to get up and besides play every day, but especially right now in this moment where it's really difficult for a lot of people and we have the opportunity to continue what we love doing outside in a group with our friends, hanging out, joking and playing football. So yeah, I think we're really blessed right now, to be honest. And you, you talked about obviously the, the restrictions that you've got in France. Has the, the French government's said to football and i'll use the uk the uk government's um kind of um 
it's not a mandate it's kind of uh say please try not hug and do the normal things you would do in a celebratory fashion have the have the french government said that to, to french sport as well to kind of say well celebrate do do obviously celebrate but not in close quarters i mean celebrate is kind of a weird word because i don't know where you're going with that if somebody scores a goal my teammates are going to jump on them that's that's just kind of an, an innate innate like you've been doing that for the last 20 30 10 whatever years you've been playing every time even like sunday's football that's it's just natural you're not just going to run up and like fist bump or like elbow each other um we don't hug and kiss anymore like we originally in france like we don't do the cheek kisses anymore we don't high five each other if it's not for a goal or something um we try to keep our masks on at all like times until we step on the field. So we have it in our training room. We have it theoretically in the gym, as much as the doctor forces us to, we have it in our, um, when we have lunch and breakfast, if we get up from the table, we have to put our masks back on. So there's definitely new rules and regulations. Was it challenging at first then? Oh, for sure. But I mean, now everybody's just used to wearing a mask and just the way it is. So can't really do much about it <laughs> and and you talked about you know the early days of the, of the episode of being out and, and playing catch with with your dad with american football did did that make it an easy transition to to play the position then as a goalkeeper because you're just naturally catching okay the balls the ball differs but yeah no i mean no he would throw an american uh he would throw a football like a soccer ball at me he would just throw it like like he'd throw it overhand like an American football and I would catch it and then go like this. Um, so no, the catching part. And then uh, I learned how to slide tackle and that was that I would just got too many cards when I was a kid. Cause I had no control over it. But if you came at me, I would just like run right into you or like the no fear part was never a problem. And then goalkeeper coaches who actually had experience and understood how to play the position were like, okay, we can work with that. Like she just goes at him like a brick wall. So that worked out in my favor as a kid. I did get carded out of a lot of games, though, in the beginning. Why? Because you were a little bit, a uh, little bit out of control, and, and yeah, I would just slide tackle into people. Didn't really care. They fell over. Didn't really care. <laughs> 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 if I went for a cross, I would just come out like balls to the walls. Go to punch it. If I missed the ball and hit somebody, I didn't really care. <laughs> like, <laughs> so I would just, I was just really straightforward, <laughs> like a train. So you'd be you'd be well suited to playing in the seventies then, probably. <laughs> Old school English football, just like kick and run and run into people. I probably would have been amazing. Then I would have been like a star midfielder forward. No, not really, because I hate running. But well, the the forwards don't run that much. It's tactical. Um, just being or... in the right place at the right time. Well, your position has changed over the decades. Of you've got oh, absolutely very much an extra defender now. Of you know the 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 style of or Barcelona Pep Guardiola and you know the Barcelona teams of playing with eleven players. It probably it's for some that are very well. You you'd probably be very suited because you were very gun you cut gun home from an early age. If you you make a little bit of a mistake, I'll make up for it. Yeah, exactly. Um, but obviously, we said we said at the very beginning of, of the introduction you are one of a kind in terms of being having two contracts is that quite a novelty of 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 and i'll pose two questions with this ariana is it quite of a balance in the early days was it quite of a bit of a balance act on your part well 
So I've only had two professional contracts like I do now here at Paris Saint-Germain. At other clubs I played for, I, I didn't have other contracts. At other clubs, sometimes I worked on the side because I had extra time or because our club wasn't paying us like they were supposed to. Um, but I chose to come to Paris because I wanted to get the experience in the business sector also and use my my master's degree that I'd received. So yeah, it's absolutely a balancing and it's difficult to balance. I'm not going to lie. I had two trainings today. I had a business meeting in between the two trainings, chatting with you now. Um, and I still have work to do after. So it definitely is, but it's all things in my opinion in life. If you want something and you enjoy what you're doing, you find a way to do it and you find a way to balance it. Well, I think you're quite a go-getter in terms of, you know, just, just talking to you and, and, uh, ultimately well i'm i'm not in awe but in terms of you know <laughs> social media presence you you, you know you, you probably utilize all all facets of uh, of your degree your 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 skill set within within the sport sponsorship uh, arena and then also as a playing career you can kind of steer steer certain things um so for me it's to be commended and obviously coming back from what doctors or the health professionals said would be career ending. I think ultimately it, it, it does showcase of not a winning at all cost mentality as you, you didn't, you were not happy to be sitting around or lounging around and, and taking the, the easy out. I won't call it quitting mentality because ultimately if they tell you to rest, you should, you should a little bit listen to that as well, but you were willing to, think outside the box for your recovery if i need to hobble around the 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 outside of the field to do it i'll do it and and i think that's to be commended because your position is not as uh commended for for putting in the mileage you oh thanks you, 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 pro- you probably have to do a lot of running in preseason, irrespective of you're going to do that in a game so I think though we have to do a lot of fitness style stuff. It's just not the same as just straight running back and forth. It's a lot of up downs, like lay on the ground, jump up, get like dive up, dive up. And sometimes that can be much harder. Like three spent sprints is actually much easier than diving 10 times and popping back up, but it's just different. We're used to it. And it's easier for me to do fitness if there's a ball than just straight running. I would never be a track athlete. Do do, do 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 you get quite a lot of re- repetition injuries then, and I mean minor ones of 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 taking the ultimately. Uh, obviously, we're in the middle of winter, so the ground's not as forgiving. Uh, no, not actually that. I mean, we're so used to diving that unless just for some reason you land on something or you land weird, but usually it's almost um, like riding a bicycle. It's memory, muscle memory. Our, our bodies remember how to dive. Don't get me wrong. Like when we have a bit of a break so even after christmas when we come back your sides of your hips and stuff are just a little sore because you're not used to it like you once were or even after quarantine it was it was pretty sore coming back but um no usually most goalkeepers bodies are pretty used to it after how long have i been doing this 20 years i've been doing this so more i've been doing this for like 25 years so no my muscle memory is pretty solid and do you do you have because we're talking about the 70s of the the rough and tumble of pretty much you don't need to take the ball but then you would have got the rough of the green as a goalkeeper because there was no there was no mercy if if you were in the way they just bonded you out the way and it's a goal exactly they just hit you and there was no gloves and like that had to be rough but but was loads there's loads of 
loads of things. But it's, it's, it's like comparing apples to oranges. It's, 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 it's not a, the same thing. It's a different, the game's completely different. The ball, the ball is a different topic altogether. I think every time there's a major tournament, the ball changes. You guys is probably awful. horrible. Horrible. You, Absolutely. Do you think, do you think some of these companies should should maybe sit down with them as well, uh, with the goalkeepers and say, well, okay, you want to see more goals, but we can't even. No, I don't. I don't game. actually think the companies care. I think they sit down with the forwards and figure out how they can get it to swerve and twist and make it even harder for goalkeepers. Because, as we kind of discussed before you started recording, though, fans want to see goals. Well, if you want goals, they might not want as many as American sports, but no matter what, even in England, you want to see goals. Well, that's why I've got United, Manchester United top on. I was very surprised with the FA Cup game with Liverpool. Uh, just yes, no, Tuesday, so just Sunday gone as that had five goals and they only played the week before. And it was, it wasn't dull because I watched the highlights, but that was. What would the American audience would be boring because it ended in no score. But exactly for for the European audience of, I was relieved because Liverpool was a more dominant team in the league uh, encounter, and ultimately they came out on the winning side. I wasn't positive, but but I think what this year showcases. With no fans, it's kind of been a leveler for, for any opposition. You can go into any stadium as a as the visitor and win. Whereas we talk about probably two, three years ago, that's you're more likely to lose going into some of these big stadiums. And obviously, with with the women's game, um, I think obviously the World Cup has definitely helped that. With it being in France and and the French public getting behind it, and it's kind of grown a grown on. On uh, on uh, on esteems from that because you've gone from you know the German league from uh, a bygone era being the more dominant to obviously the French taking over. Uh, probably uh, the French and the English would probably argue who's got the dominant league now. Uh, there's probably a lot. Probably, well, it's definitely more money going into the double WSL now because they're getting the Americans coming over to play. Uh, I'm probably getting put ready for the Olympics as well. Um, and whether or not they stay on is a different one or, or go to go back to bigger clubs like Lyon, PSG uh, and, and, the, and the likes of that. But from a standpoint from, from, from your, your work life now, Ariana, how, how challenging is it to try to, because you said this off air of stepping out, you said from more from a playing perspective of the women stepping outside of the shadows of the men's, how difficult is it for your day-to-day job to, to, to showcase the women to be their own identity? Um, I wouldn't say it's actually that difficult to be fair when I present to a sponsor or to a company or to a stakeholder, um, one, just saying the name PSG obviously opens a door because people are interested to hear what you have to say. And then two, I have an amazing group of women that I play with. So the individual stories that can uh, make a brand more authentic and actually connect that brand to certain players, to certain stories, I think is actually a lot better coming from the women's view than what happens in any club's men's football team. Just the stories and the histories that my players have 
are better. I mean, we've got a, a, a woman on our team who once she's finished um, her career in a couple of years, she'll be a surgeon. She's halfway done. She's basically done through medical school. She just has to actually go in and, and do the time where she, that she can't do right now. because She's obviously on the field. Um, we have a lot of girls that have started their own charities. They, we have girls on our team that are entrepreneurs. Uh, a lot have kind of built themselves in their own right and have created a brand amongst themselves off the field. So I think going to different sponsors, it's, it's great being able to tell the story of my teammates. But you've got a good one as well. <laughs> I've got an interesting one too. In, in, th- in theory, that's an Under Armour story. You know, the, the, the underdog of, oh, what is their slogan? You know, go, going through a brick wall. Your, your no, for sure. Relates to that, but also the fact that it's me calling those brands and discussing with them, being somebody coming from the field, and also being somebody with an ear to the locker room. I actually know exactly what my parent players like and what they don't like, and what makes sense to work with and what doesn't make sense to work with, which I think is actually a huge advantage that a lot of men's teams don't have because the marketing team isn't as close or connected with the players as obviously I am with mine. Do you think that's an advantage f- for you going forward because of that that uh, relationship and that bond that you've got? Absolutely. But it's also, too, because I actually know what I'm selling. I, I know it inside and out. I've been on both sides of it. I understand the business side of it. So I understand that while I would love to say we should get everything we want, we can't. Just the finances aren't there. We don't bring in the funds that would like make sense to do that. But I also really know what the players are thinking and, and what they want and how they think. So I think it makes a huge difference. Yeah. But what, what, what do you think is going to need to transition to, to, to be ultimate? You said that it, it's going to be only a matter of time uh, to, to when women will be able to demand you know, the sort of money that the male players probably take for granted. I'm going to go out and let them say some of them probably take for granted. Well, I mean, I think we've had a, a very small handful that have already been able to get kind of high numbers, uh, which is fantastic. It's so great. The biggest problem we have now is is the discrepancy between the highest played player on the team and the, and the lowest played player on the team, which there might be those discrepancy within the men's game, but those zeros are different. Like, it's just not the same. The lowest played player on Manchester United men is not crying for money. He's not well, hurting probably, in any way. No matter, academy, it's probably an academy player as well, or they've just broken into the first team. Um, and possibly most of those individuals, and this is, I think, what's wrong with men's sport in general, is pretty much they've had a handout for their entire lives. They've, they've had entitlement from maybe i'll say at least their teenage years of they might be in an academy for by the by the time they're 13 five years plus and by the time they make it maybe make it into the first team you don't know what the real world looks like oh no they're totally disconnected from reality well that's why it's probably difficult now to kind of say well obviously the premier league went out on a limb we will not we will not have a circuit break Okay, but the rest of the population would possibly like that sport, maybe well, football in this case, take a little bit of a back step of 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 the, of their of their one of the reasons why transmission is up in this particular city. That should be from an emotional standpoint. Pretty, I, I know, I know it's very difficult because it's really difficult because there's a lot. I mean, you can argue that the the salaries are too high or this or that, but at the same time, they wouldn't get paid those salaries if the clubs weren't making that money. 
and they wouldn't get paid those salaries if they weren't broadcasting rights and they wouldn't get paying those salaries if it wasn't a competitive league. And I think a lot of people also forget how much money clubs bring into the cities, how much work is actually created through football being played, how much work is actually being lost right now since you don't have fans, because taking fans out of the stadium means there's not security going on, means there's not the, the vendor selling food in there means there's not the people walking up and down, you know, the aisles, either selling food or smaller security. There's not tickets. There's a lot of stuff. There's not the outside economy. So those bars aren't getting the, the footpath that they usually get. The hotels aren't getting it. The all, all of that rolls into sporting events happening in those areas. And so while you're frustrated what the players are getting, they're also creating a lot of jobs and a lot of economy. Also, flat, even too like going down to just tourism within football. You guys get, and Ryanair has done a great job actually of monetizing, bringing in, you know, Scandinavia to come to Premier League games. You guys also have a huge tourism with Asia because of it. Um, That's a lot of money coming in from a lot of different places that's not happening now, which is also really hurting a lot of people. Well, I think I I would, I would go out on a limb. I'd say the big, the big six are probably okay. You know, Manchester United, Manchester City, Liverpool. Oh no, I'm not talking about the clubs. I'm talking about those other businesses that actually like profit from football. I'm talking about the small pubs next door to the stadiums. I'm talking about the airline industry. I'm talking about small hotels next to stadiums. Um, I'm talking about students who work just weekends at football games, you know, selling coke up and down the the stadium or selling nuts outside or selling beanies or scarves outside the stadiums all of those small things are clearly not happening anymore and those people are definitely suffering well you forget about that don't you you get you get a little bit self-absorbed um probably me included of you know i i i i don't fixate on the amount of money that people are paid because if it was the shoe was on the other foot nobody would turn it down Right. I mean, is it their fault that that's what the market has now produced? No, that, 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 that's the industry. That's an industry that you work, you work in, you know, television and, and sponsorship of, but that's demand. That's the, it's, it's a, a demon in itself. It's a, it's kind of a backlash in terms of you, you're going to create demand for, for what you just talked about, you know, the, the market of the, 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 the Asians wanting Premier League, that's going to bring in revenue. Uh, pretty much uh, the men's game ultimately is renowned worldwide uh, for for its, well, its expansive style of play. Um, but I think it it does it 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 is it is it's difficult because. It's quite hard when you see, you know, when you look further down the, the pyramid of, you know, the smaller clubs like really, really struggling. Of it, it is a little bit complex. Uh, our, our government's decision as well. This level of um, play can happen, but this one can't. But it's still the same game. It's like, well, that lower down the chain probably need it a little bit more. They probably need it, but also without ticket sales and that stuff, how are they going to survive? And plus, to be completely realistic, clubs with more money and the professional clubs, they can afford to keep their players tested on a regular basis. They can afford to keep their players separated. They can afford the the type of facility and the new structure that needs to be put in place very quickly. They can also pay for the private planes or, or a type of travel that allows the players not to be in like contact with others. So 
you know, they could they can also afford to open an entire hotel that might have been closed previously, but they can rent it for a day and that's enough money to, to rent it out. So there's a lot of stuff that goes into it. I can definitely see both sides of the story, but I think there's a lot more to the story that people forget about when they want it to be shut down. Well, it's 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 that's the difficulty because it's it, it is it it is. I think you're not sympathetic for players not willing to go, and this is that months ago, willing to go back and play. But I think from a human perspective, um, I I can wholly re- um, reconcile with what that player wanted to do because it was if he wanted to stay alive. He was. It was. I'm not playing, irrespective of of I make million, ten thousand, hundred thousand a week. Which I, I mean, think everybody be- like, yeah. I mean, this is a pandemic. We, nobody really knows what's really happening. So I think everybody has to make personal choices that you really can't judge them for when you don't know what's happening in their personal household, their family members, and they don't need to tell you. It's not you know, it's not society or the audiences or their fans' right to know through social media what's actually happening like players do have a right to their privacy and, and to make their own personal decisions. But is that what's difficult with the kind of um, a microcosm that what well, that's being created, you know, with social of, of Instagram, uh, Twitter of, you know, that the, the actual, I'm going to, I'm not going to use my words carefully, but you know, that the fans, deeming they have the right to say what they want they think that they have that close contact to the individual obviously there's a the digital barrier there anywhere i mean i think too people also have to realize that no matter what you see on instagram it's just what somebody wants to show you a picture can be worth a thousand words but it can be a thousand false words or it can be you know diction word choice is, is a huge thing so you can see a picture and you can choose what you see in it and that might not be what i'm trying to represent in my picture or even in the the caption that I put there. And that's everybody's prerogative to kind of do that. And don't get me wrong. Some people should not be posting some of the pictures. Like, (laughs) you know, this is a pandemic. You don't need to be traveling to certain places at certain times and and partying or putting yourself in bad situations and then actually documenting it. I think that's absolutely crazy. Um, But there's other stuff that you can show a picture and be really happy, but in reality, you're really sad or you're dealing with some stuff that doesn't, click in that one second that you took the photo so it's really hard to say but I think sometimes you know athletes get a hard rap and and sometimes people need to step back and and maybe try to put themselves in their position and think what what would they do like it's not necessarily black or white not every decision is right or wrong or that easy well I think people are quick to make quick decisions it's 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 and I think me being, a, 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 I won't say former, but in past life being an athlete, I'm probably sympathetic and unsympathetic at, at, at different For times. sure. There's there's like two sides. I totally agree. There's some stuff where you're just like, really? Why would you do that? And then there's other stuff where you're like, well, I can see where, you know, that happened. But you were talking about obviously ending your career on a high note. What As we were recording this, how many games have you got left? And ultimately, I know the the managers like they talk a good game. As yeah, I'll use Ole Gunnar Solskjaer because he's obviously manager of Manchester. It's only three points, and we don't think about the the table irrespective. But as of right now, what what does the situation look like? Because I know you said you're top of the table, but how does how well? Does no, it I mean look? the way our league goes, you have to win every game. We have to win every single game from now until the end. 
from French Cup to the league to there's no room for error for us. It's not necessarily like the Premier League where you can drop a point or two points and you're going to recuperate it because, you know, that just happens in, in, in the Premier League. It's not like one team can go the entire season without losing a game or dropping a point. Um, and Lyon is in our league, so we we can't drop a point. They're not going to make any mistakes, so we can't either. So it's a lot of wins that we have left to do. But you're talking about the clean sweep anyway, so it's like you wanna you wanna pretty much have a nice. I wanna, little I wanna get three points on every single game that we play from today on. <laughs> well, that's you 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 can only control half of the that outcome, as in trying to keep a clean sheet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we just need to stay connected as a team, and you know what will be will be. And you talked about obviously that rivalry. Well, oh, that's my words. You talked about obviously having Leo in, in 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 the league. How much of a rivalry is that in the women's game? Because ultimately, I, I I know huge in the men's game it's pretty big. Is it bigger because of the the the, the ultimate overriding factor of you know those two games are going to make or break I, the league? Yeah, for sure. That's the that's the game that everybody tunes into. That's the game where you're going to get most people in the stadium that's the game that everybody's waiting for and paying attention to so that's one not to make any mistakes going exactly. back to your days as a cl- in the collegiate exactly era. exactly and 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 from all the all the places that you've played as as a as a goalkeeper or as a football player which has been the most scrutinizing from a press perspective oh PSG for sure. But I don't know if they're necessarily scrutinizing, but the most press is here. I mean, we have a a communication. uh, Our head of communication only works with us and only for the women's side. We have an entire, you know, staff or team that works fully for the women's side, which isn't as often in most clubs yet. And and you're talking about that's been a good thing. But what I meant by that, Ariana, is, 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 is the... Is the French press more, or the Parisian press, more unforgiving? I don't really know. I think that's a really hard question because you also have to think that I've been playing pro for 15 years now. Um, And so with that said, every year there's more press or every year there's more communication. So it's really hard to compare the club today that I play for versus the club I played for 15 years ago where just wanting the press to write anything about us over the weekend and have anybody watch the game was a big deal to now it's like, okay, can we sell out? Okay. Um, are we going to open the biggest stadiums for our big games? Like these kind of questions. So again, it's kind of what you said before it's comparing oranges to apples. It's not the same thing anymore. And do you think, um, the, obviously the BBC had done a document, it's a document docu series of West Ham football, women's football club. Now, do you think that's only a good thing f- to be able to show, behind the scenes of, you know, player recruitment um, and showing, you know, the, the person as opposed to, you know, what, what you would deem if you tuned in on a match day of just seeing the player. Do you think it's what uh, society wants to see of more and more because ultimately... Absolutely. I mean, I think they want to see it in all sports and male or female. I think everybody wants to see what really happens and you know, the truth behind it, but even the docu-series, you see more, but nobody's, there's a lot that goes on that nobody's going to talk about. So ra- ra- wrapping up on the episode, Ariana, my f- my penultimate question I want to ask you is, if you had to sit down with any athlete, 
dead or alive, who would that be and why? And I know that's a very difficult question. I think this is too difficult. I feel like I'd rather just have a big dinner party where lots of athletes could be there and interact and chat. And um, I don't know. There's so many like really famous athletes that obviously you have like the Michael Jordans or LeBron James or I mean, Tom Brady right now. I think he's just proven himself as a GOAT. Um, even like George Best, Pele from soccer and, you know, Zola and uh, so many, even Buffon would be cool at my table. But I think I'd also just love, this sounds crazy, but it's my generation. Um, I'm not sure how familiar you are with the 99ers, but that's the U.S. Women's World Cup team that won the 99 World Cup. And I was a 14-year-old girl watching that game live with them playing, and I followed that team, and those were my heroes. So I feel like sitting down with those women and saying thank you and seeing the path that they carved for all of us women who are playing now, whether or not you're playing in a different country and you have no idea who the, who they are, those are the women that really created marketing for women, Mia Hamm, uh, who had a Gatorade commercial with Michael Jordan, um, is definitely still one of my idols. And, and I think I'd love to sit down with them and, and chat with them. And then I think it'd be really cool. I don't know their names, but I think it'd be also super cool to sit down with the Dick Kerr ladies um and have them tell their stories and learn about the games that they played where they had like 50,000 people come to their games and in like the 20s 30s 40s and stuff like that to hear their story before football got canceled for women I think that would be super cool too and my penultimate question to you Aaron before we wrap up the episode is if you had to summarize what we've been speaking about into one sentence for people to take away what would that be Women can do anything they want. I think that's a great one to end on. So once again, thank you so much for taking the time out of your very, very, very busy busy schedule, uh, both on the on the field and also in the office. So thanks again, Ariana. It's, a, my, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks again for tuning in, and I hope you enjoyed this episode and got loads from it. Anything that was included and discussed will be available in the show notes below. And I would love to hear from you. Come and connect and ask your questions. I've been James Roberts from jamesowenroberts.com. Remember this quote by Chris Hoth. An athlete is a mindset. It's how you prepare, think, and execute, not by some elite status or physical stature. Anybody can be an athlete. <laughs>